the content found on thebestdayever.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Lucian Gauthier, and I'm here with David Avocado Wolf. And we are here today to talk about sweeteners. Sweeteners are a big issue in the health food scene. What sweeteners to use, what sweeteners not to use, is sweet good, is sweet bad. David Avocado Wolf is here to sort out fact from fiction with us. So thank you so much, David, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Lucian. It's great to be with you. And we've got a great topic and a very pertinent topic to be discussing this whole area of sweeteners. So let's jump into it. Dave, the first question I have to ask you is, a lot of people use sweeteners in an incorrect way. What are the sweeteners that we want to avoid? What are the sweeteners that cause us to experience health problems? What are some of the sweeteners that we might find in processed foods, the sweeteners that we'll find in the in the food aisle that we want to avoid, and the type of sweeteners that definitely we don't want to be putting in our body? Okay, well, the, the most dangerous sweetener that we know of is refined sugar. And this is something that was actually a drug back in the 1600s and would be passed around. People would have little pouches of white refined sugar. Actually, it was brown sugar back then and would pass around at parties like a drug. And it was like cocaine back then. But it found its way into almost all our processed foods. And it's even worse than what was going on back then because now it's all refined white sugar that's even gotten into a deeper level of trouble with this high fructose corn syrup, which in the 1960s, was increased, I believe the original numbers were like 20% sucrose, now it's up to 40 or 60% sucrose. All that detail was in a book called Twinkie Deconstructed, which I'd recommend that, that you read because it has a very interesting chapter on high fructose corn syrup in there. Now, now they're trying to change the name of high fructose corn syrup to HFCS, so nobody even really even knows what it is anymore as an ingredient on labels. This is one of the things that causes people to just completely abandon all processed foods and beverages. Now, I want to say this. The main problem is usually coming in beverage form. So, you know, we think about sweeteners like white sugar or brown sugar, and we think about them going to baked goods or something sometimes. But the real issue and the more pertinent issue is this issue of sweetened soft drinks, sweetened energy drinks that are almost all sugar. And these industries that run the soft drink empires and the energy drink empires actually control the food industry. And I want to just point that out because the food industry is like a joke compared to the beverage industry. The beverage industry controls the food industry. For example, who owns McDonald's? Who owns Burger King? You know, it's Coca-Cola and Pepsi. You know, these are the these are the outfits that actually are behind it all. And we saw a massive explosion in, in almost a pure drug, which is Red Bull and these other energy drinks over the last 15 years, that is causing all kinds of adrenal havoc. And underneath it all is feeding infections. And this is a big thing about sweeteners and about sugar in general is that we now know that cancer cells, for example, have 6 to 13 times the insulin receptor sites as healthy cells, which means that they're sucking up sugar because 
insulin picks up the sugar and delivers it right to the cancer cell. And therefore, cancer cells and other mutated cells are actually sinks with which the sugar just continuously fills up. And the more sugar we have, the more cancer we have. Now, this is not anything new. This was actually the Chinese theory all along. In Chinese medicine, cancer is a yin condition. It means too much sugar, too much sweet. And that's a very important aspect of all this is we are all coming out of almost like a carbocoma, you know, very high amounts of carbohydrate, extraordinary amounts of refined sugar. And, and then what do we do? Now, we're not in the place we were 200 years ago or 1,000 years ago where we can handle honey, for example, in the winter to sweeten our tea. A lot of us already have very high levels of infections. For example, like a cancer infection really begins when you have a billion cancer cells clustered together. Then you have a problem. So let's say you only had 100 cancer cells. Well, you could have honey and it wouldn't be any problem at all. But if you have a billion cancer cells that have clustered together and you start actually having, quote, unquote, cancer, then honey can be a problem because even a sweetener like honey, even though it's a natural sugar, it can still feed into the, the sugar sink, the high insulin receptor membrane of the cancer cell. And, Dave, when we talked about these refined sugars, what other than feeding infection do they do to cause different insulin responses in our body that are unwanted? I know when we take in a huge influx of sugar, our body responds in a particular way. What's the type of physical response that's going to cause health problems when we all of a sudden flood our body with excess sugars? It's basically like an irritant. And when we're young, we can handle it to some degree. We're going to have hyperinsulinization, yes which the insulin is going to be forced out to actually hold the sugar and, and bring the blood sugar down. Um, eventually, we have an overproduction of insulin, which turns into hypoglycemia, and eventually an underproduction of insulin later in life, which we call diabetes type 2. Now, the thing here that is of, is of interest to me is that there's, a, there's an unspoken of aspect of mental illness and that is sugar addictions and, and blood sugar spiking, the constant up and down roller coaster that goes on for many people day to day, moment to moment. And these are people all the way from alcoholics to people just drinking soda pop at their job to people who are using sweeteners in their coffee six to seven times a day, all the way to, to even fruitarians who kind of switch one drug for, for another. They switched off of the refined sugar drug and then they're, you know, having to do bananas and pineapples and oranges all day long in order to keep their blood sugar in, in a zone where they can actually function. Um, I'm talking about all those different kinds of cases are actually dealing with, we're dealing with mental illness. We're dealing with the beginnings of mental illness. If you have suffered from mental illness in your life or you believe that there's something wrong with your cognition, your memory, your ability to stay in, the, in a sane and calm state of mind and, and balanced mood, this may be the trigger that, that is hidden from you that you need to become aware of, is how you're using sugar or sweeteners or sweets in your daily life. And I've had people who I know personally, very good friends of mine, who are so sensitive to any sugar whatsoever. I'm talking high fructose corn syrup, honey, fruits, any kind of sweetener whatsoever, 
that they found through their own research that any intake of those at all would, would start to trigger episodes, um, up and down fluctuations in mood, irritability, anger, uh, extreme passivity, fluctuate like manic behavior where extremely happy, extremely sad, extreme depression, you know, these kinds of things like that are related to this aberrant sugar metabolism, which is either A, coming originally from massive amounts of carbohydrates in our youth, or B, massive amounts of alcohol, or C, later on usually massive amounts of, of just fruit and honey um, without anything to kind of balance it out. So we're just stimulating that sugar metabolism repeatedly, almost by the hour daily, sometimes for years, and then, then the problems become overwhelming. And so I know a lot of these companies, uh, people are becoming more aware of the sugar problem, so some of these companies to kind of circumvent that aspect of sugar affecting our body adversely have come up with chemical sweeteners, which are, in essence, non-glycemic, things like aspartame. What can we expect to see from non-glycemic chemical sweeteners like aspartame that don't give us the sort of calories, like soft drinks that have zero calories now, and they promote themselves as, hey, we're dot, 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 zero-calorie soft drink or diet soft drink and chemical sweetener that doesn't have any calories in it, are those things safe? Are those things a good alternative to sugar? What do you think about chemical sweeteners like aspartame, for example? Monsanto's aspartame is definitely extremely dangerous to the frontal lobes of the brain, causes the formation of formaldehyde in the brain, and is one of those aberrant, runaway problems that we currently experience with our with our FDA in the United States and with other governing bodies around the world where these organizations are actually bought out by Monsanto's lobby and they the problem has gotten out of control and so nobody can call it a problem. You know, you can't go out there and say, we're gonna put a class action lawsuit against aspartame because the the problem is too massive. The governments are in on it. And this is one of these areas where we have to become extremely self-responsible. There's two aspects to the issue of these of these so-called fake sweeteners like aspartame, saccharin. One of them is the what the way that they sold it to us is, oh, there's no calories. And okay, yeah, there may be no normal calories like carbohydrate calories. So yeah, it may not put weight on you directly, but definitely indirectly, we've found that people who consume Diet sodas actually gain more weight, and that's probably due to the inflammatory response to the fake sweetener and the overall toxicity of the diet soft drinks. So diet soft drinks actually don't cause us to lose weight. They cause us to gain weight, as the research has indicated. So the whole thing is actually a failure. The whole idea of it, every the whole direction of it is actually a failure. And again, why why don't we hear more about this? Because the lie got too big. It got so big that nobody can call it anymore. The governments are in on it. Everybody's in with it. The, the grocery stores are in on it. Every liquor store is in on it. Every bar and saloon across America, Canada, Europe, Asia is, is in on it. You know, what can you do at that point? Well, this is why we've got to become self-responsible. Okay, when it comes to being self-responsible, let's look at some of the alternatives that we can use. I know, for example, at some of the longevity now conferences, you've talked about that 
if you take away the ability to have fun with your food, to enjoy your food, you know, if you take away all honey, for example, then, you know, you become you become a little bit like a, a, a miserable health fanatic where, yes, you might be really healthy eating the strictest type of diet, but there's no fun in there. So what are some of the sweeteners that we can use? And, for example, myself and Len just came back from Costa Rica and we visited Pachamama, which I know you're familiar with, Dave, and there we enjoyed some raw cane sugar, ate some of it. I mean, it was very, very sweet. It seemed to me that there's a much different sort of effect that that would have in our body chemistry rather than a refined sugar. So where do sweeteners fit in in an appropriate manner, such as maybe a raw cane sugar, maybe a honey, and then we can look at some other non-glycemic alternatives as well? Okay, I want to backtrack again to this point about infection. Whether that infection is cancer or candida or somebody has a topical infection or they have a fungal infection that's been going on for years in their toes or the fingers or, you know, some kind of a gum infection. If you've had long-standing infections, you've got to be very, very careful about any kind of sweet food at all, whether that's a carbohydrate, super glycemic HFCS um, soda, or it's fruit. This is important because sometimes we, we get this idea that, like, oh, it's, it's real natural food like a fruit, and therefore it's okay. It might be okay if we all start at ground zero even, but we're not all even. Some of us have actually have a very disturbed sugar metabolism. We've irritated our system very deeply, and in particular, we have an infection, a very bad infection. Therefore, we can't just start loading ourselves up with sugar. It can be very dangerous. I have two friends of mine, very dear friends of mine who were very close to me, who were fruitarians, basically. They were raw foodists, mostly ate fruit, both died of ovarian cancer, which is common, actually. That's, that, that's what happens to people who eat too much fruit, who have infections, is that they actually can't fight the infections by continuing to pour in all of the, the that sweet food, even if it's healthy and natural sweet food. But if we don't have infections, we have a strong immune system. If we've done well eating fruit, then we can eat fruit, and then that's part of the fun of life. So in certain cases, yeah, it's going to be something where you're going to have to stay away from fruit because you've got the infections and you're going to have to stay away because your life depends on it um, and have a little bit here and there, maybe have a little bit of blueberries occasionally or a little bit of a, of a low glycemic natural fruit. But you don't want to be blasting in massive amounts of bananas or orange juice or things like that because the glycemic level can actually trigger off an explosion of the cancer or the candida or whatever. Now, some people figure this out right away. Some people figure it out the hard way. And what I'm trying to do is just warn you because you don't want to learn about this the hard way. You don't want to get caught up in, in the dangers of, of the digestive infections or the cancers that are already lurking perhaps within your body um, by, by just bombarding yourself with sugars of all different kinds. Now, let's say you're healthy and everything's fine and you've a clean bill of health. If you went and you had sugar cane, for example, like you guys did in Costa Rica, you, that's great. I mean, sugar cane is one of the most incredible foods in the world because it's a grass. So it's like wheat grass. It has all of the enzymes. There's like eight major enzymes in grasses. That, I think that's the highest of any food. Actually, it's second only to honey in the amount of enzymes that's present. So you get all that power of the enzymatic capabilities of grass, which, for example, contains very powerful anti-arthritic properties. And, yeah, it's going to be sweet, but it builds strength and it builds health. And it, it can be very good for people who have 
low infection levels in their body and have good, strong immune systems. Um, honey is like that as well. Honey is an amazing food and definitely a longevity food. It's definitely in the top three longevity foods in the world. It is great for people who have a strong immune system, who don't have a compromised sugar metabolism, but terrible for people who have cancer and candida potentially. It's terrible for people who have um, certain types of sugar-responsive infections where they eat something sweet, all of a sudden the, their fungus in the nails or in their toes or something explodes or, or viral infections. Um, this is one of the dangers, by the way, of, of just eating just a straight raw food diet is, okay, yeah, you can have fruit and vegetables and sure you're going to eat a snack on a lot of fruit, but what can happen is, is if you're not careful and if you don't have a very strong immune system naturally, you may start actually burdening your immune system with things like honey and fruit and dried fruit because you may have a level of subtle infection that's there and you may have an immune system that's not able to keep track of it or not able to keep it in balance. And therefore, we're going to end up in, in a problem down the road. I've seen this with raw food people, obviously, over the years, um, where we suddenly have broken down our immunity. We've also had, the, had trouble metabolizing that sugar and therefore it can cause a hyperacidity environment in our body, it can cause acidosis, and can also cause dental damage, and it can cause osteoporosis over many years. So fruit is great. It's a wonderful treat, and it's a great food for certain people, but excess amounts of anything can be troublesome, and you just have to know what your limits are. Okay, fantastic. And let's talk about the aspect of taste in our diet. What is a nice way to find balance? I know for an average American, probably every meal that they eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, includes some aspect of sweet taste. So, for example, in breakfast, Maybe we put blueberries or strawberries or some kind of berries in. Maybe we put sugar in our coffee. We usually find some way of working sweet into our breakfast for lunch. Maybe we have some kind of a, a lunch that has some sweet in it. And for dinner, certainly we know that desserts are a big one. We have sweet after we eat dessert. What can you recommend for people in terms of balancing out the desire for a sweet taste for having a healthy body? What is the way that you, for example, would incorporate sweet taste. Do you have sweet at every meal? Do you have sweet one meal out of the three meals? How do you incorporate the taste of sweet in a balanced way so that it's not disproportionate to the other tastes like bitter, salty, astringent, and so forth? And maybe we can talk a little bit about the health aspects of the different tastes. Okay, well, you brought up an important point, and that is we, there is a place for sweet in the overall range of flavor, definitely. Should we be having sweet at every meal? Well, I, to me, that sounds out of balance. It, it sounds out of balance with the natural order of things. We need to have bitter. We need to have astringent. We need to have salty, spicy, and sweet. You know, the, all the five flavors should be represented in some way. I kind of listen to my instincts on this. Sometimes I really don't want anything sweet. I just want savory. Sometimes I want bitter. I just want to have bitter. Sometimes spicy food is really what, what dominates as a as a feeling or an instinct for me, and, and that's something that we, I think, over time become more in tune with. In the beginning, I think it's a little bit tougher. I do want to bring up this point, and that is when we're eating, like, massive amounts of meat, pizzas every day, we can handle a much higher amount of sugar because it's absorbed by the, all the bread and all the, the meat and cheese so that there isn't the direct impact of the sugar into the blood. So, for example, if you have a belly full of meat 
and pizza and, and French fries, and then all of a sudden you take in a soft drink, it's not as direct of an insulinization effect or a, or a glycemic effect or a blood sugar spiking effect as if you drank that soda on an empty stomach. So this is something that we kind of do naturally. We try to, we try to modulate the sugar by taking in something really gluey and fatty and, and real thick in order to kind of absorb the hit of the sugar into our system. And that's like a, it's like a seesaw, right? As you start walking in on that seesaw and you get away from the extremely sweet stuff like sodas and sweetened soft drinks of any kind and energy drinks, and on the other end, you start getting away from, like, all that thick, gluey, heavy, meaty cheese and that kind of stuff. You, as you walk in on that, it becomes a more delicate balance. It's like two people on the end of a seesaw, if you recall, when you are a kid, right? If, if one of them starts walking in, the other has to walk in for the balance to stay. And that's more of the balance that we're talking about, the delicate balance that comes with natural foods, because we don't have the thick, gluey, heavy, meaty, cheesy raw food. It's not really, you can't get that same hit as you would have gotten from a big old cheese, pepperoni, mushroom pizza that you had when you're, when you're a kid. You can't get that kind of same effect from raw foods, for example. So you have to become more set, more aware of the glycemic hit. So in the beginning, if you're on all that stuff, you know, all that crazy food, you start doing carrot juice. Great. It's awesome. It's wonderful. But there comes a point where it's too sweet. Because you're not on all that gluey, thick, meaty, cheesy food anymore. You've, you've stepped into the seesaw a little bit. So I want to point that out because what can happen is, is if you just do mono diet of sugar, of sweet, you can get a very strong glycemic hit. But if you have an orange after a meal, it's not that big a deal because you have food in your gut. And the acid, the citric acid from the orange can actually help you digest the food and, and it might actually be more appropriate to have an orange after a meal than to have an orange by itself in some people because of the sensitivity of the sugar metabolism. Okay, fantastic. And let's talk a little bit about some of our alternatives. We've got some great alternatives that we recommend for people to use in their smoothies. The DVD that we just did for women's wellness and adrenal health, we used a lot of different sweeteners. We used honey, which you had recommended, especially for the enzyme factor, the mineralization. We also use things like xylitol and stevia. Can you talk a little bit about these alternatives that really are available to us now that are not concentrates of sugars, they're not chemical alternatives, but they're natural alternatives that actually help us? Maybe you can talk a little bit about how we can use stevia, how we can use xylitol, and other sweeteners that you would recommend for people to use as substitutes. Okay, if, we, if we're concerned about our carbohydrate metabolism, if we can get very glycemic, if we're very moody and irritable, very angry, manic behavior, and we start to associate that with, whoa, maybe this has something to do with the sugar I'm eating, then what we want to do is we want to start going to a, to a level of carbohydrate intake that's reasonable for us. Now, that might mean going, uh, moving away from all the toxic sugar and going to a little bit of fruit here and there or a little bit of dried fruit here and there, or even if we're more sensitive and we can't have fruit or dried fruit, or if we have a history of cancer or candida, we might want to try fruit, dried fruit soak water. What's that? Well, if you take a bunch of goji berries and you soak them in water, the, the sugars gently come out just a little bit, not, not in a glycemic way. The, the polysaccharides come out, the sugars come out into a tea, for example, or just into your water. 
And then you can drink a little bit of that without actually eating the goji berries just to give you a little bit of carbohydrate to keep your energy going. Because one of the things that can happen if we go on a no-carbohydrate diet over a long period of time is that we can just run out of energy or we can run out of brain power because our brain runs partially on glucose. So that's a way of getting a little bit of, of a real sugar in our body without getting a glycemic kit. Dried fruit soak water. You can do that with figs, for example. You can do that. You can take any dried fruit, apricots, and, and just soak them in water and, and get that dried fruit soak water, which is nice and, and can create lots of different flavors if you're into making concoctions and desserts and interesting elixirs and that kind of thing. Um, if you if you really want to get like a no glycemic hit, so there's zero glycemic going on, then you'd want to go to something like a polyol, like xylitol, you know, in granules or powder. You'd want to go to um, stevia, right, which is like there's no glycemic hit at all. It's a zero on the glycemic index. Or even, you know, you could go to more exotic like erythritol or licorice powder. And I'm talking about Chinese licorice, you know, the, the herb licorice, which is zero hit on the glycemic index. And and that might be the way to go. Another way to go, if you want a little tiny bit of sweet, kind of like the dried fruit soak water, but you don't want a strong hit of it, you could go to things like leucoma or yacone powder. You could go to um, lohan guo, which is the Chinese, it's a, it's a fruit actually, and it's kind of a non-glycemic fruit. It's not zero glycemic like xylitol is or zero glycemic like stevia. Slightly tiny little bit um, of sweetness in Lohan Guo, and it has nice flavor. So these are options if you're making food. For example, we do a, a type of chocolate at my retreats called Sin Asukar, which means no sugar. Sin Asukar. It's S-I-N. I mean, that's that's how it's spelled in in Spanish. No, and S-I-N is kind of a pun, right? It's like sin, you know, committing a sin. And then there's sugar. So we, we created this whole idea of doing a non-glycemic ch- chocolate. And I did that for a friend of mine originally who had cancer. And we use leucoma. We use a little yacone powder. We use a little stevia. We use a little bit of xylitol. And we gild those all together so we don't get, like, too much of a stevia hit or too much of a xylitol hit or too much of a yacone you hit, you know, where it's kind of, you know, your cone can be a little bit, you know, just not strong enough, not sweet enough. We, if we put those things together, again, the lacuma, the yacone, the xylitol, the stevia, then we can get a very interesting kind of semi-sweet flavor profile, but low, low, low glycemic. So we're not triggering cancer, we're not triggering off infections and allowing people to have fun on a Friday or Saturday night when they want to make a chocolate for, for themselves or for their family, and, and they don't want to feel deprived. And this is a really big discovery, I think, that we've stumbled on. And I, I want to say it again, that you can take these no or low glycemic sweeteners and mix them together and use that as your sweetener for people who have candida or infections or cancers and allow them to celebrate in the sweet flavor but not have to suffer with the results of the sugar feeding the infection of the cancer.
So, Dave, I threw out a comment on Facebook letting people know that we're doing this interview, and I asked for input from our audience from different friends on Facebook and thebestdayever.com. And one question that we had coming back live during this interview is, Dave, what do you think the role fats play during sugar consumption? Fats are like the absorber. So if you if you take fat and you take sugar at the same time, let's say you ate an avocado and an orange at the same time, the sugar is going to linger around in your blood longer. And that can have a positive effect in that it can give you more energy over a longer period of time. It can have a negative effect because the sugar is lingering around longer so you can have more insulinization occurring over a longer period of time. So that what that can do is it can actually feed infections because if you just ate the orange, you can burn through the sugar more rapidly. It's not lingering around for an hour. It's, it's lingering around for 20 minutes. And that's, that's very met, metabolism-based, by the way. Some people, they cannot have just straight fruit. They become too glycemic, and they crash immediately. Some people cannot mix fats and, and sweet fruits together because their body can't handle that insulinization being hanging around there for an hour. So this is this is kind of the difference between, say, somebody who's a carbohydrate metabolism dominant per person, and that's about 10% of the population, maybe a little bit less, and somebody who's a fat and protein dominant metabolism type person, which is, you know, the rest of us. And generally what happens is you get one group saying to the other group, our way is the only way. How could you do that? The other group says the other to that group says, what are you talking about? This, this is the only way. And so this is part of the diet wars, is that everybody thinks that their metabolism is everybody else's metabolism. That's a very dangerous assumption. That's such a good point. And I know that in our last video shoot, I know we did several recipes that had banana as a sweetener. So what do you think about banana as an actual sweetener? We've used banana powder and banana flakes. What do you think about that kind of coming on the scene now? It depends on where it, it depends on your metabolism. Number one, it depends on if that food agrees with you. That's number two, and it depends on where you are. In the tropics, you're, if you're eating banana, like you know, we run a cacao farm, so we've got to use banana. Banana is part of our overall system for growing chocolate. The plantanos, that whole family, the banana family, which isn't indigenous to the New World, it's indigenous to Asia, has representatives in the New World that were used before the introduction of banana from Asia into the New World. And the, that plant family, the Plantanos family, has a very strong interrelationship, symbiotic relationship with cacao in the tropics. And in that type of cacao environment where you're growing cacao, you got to have those two together in order to produce food. And in that situation, I think banana would be fine if it agrees with you and you like it. It is a seedless fruit, so it is glycemic, way too glycemic for someone with ovarian cancer, for example. And I'm thinking of my friend who died of ovarian cancer who was eating all kinds of bananas every day, and she was eating a dozen bananas a day, died of ovarian cancer. Um, so we have to – everything is very specific to the person, and that's why we've got to be putting out all the education that's possible so that we can make our own educated decisions. It's very atavistic. That's a good word, atavistic. And atavism, A-T-A-V-I-S-T-I-C, atavistic, to just say, banana's fine for everybody. You can have as much as you want. It's very dangerous because some people can have as much as they want, and some people in the environment they're in can't 
Some people in the environment they're in can. It's, it's specific to the situation. If you're outside of the tropics and you've had gas bananas shipped from Ecuador to New York City, totally not the same as being in Hawaii on a cacao farm with, you know, these mini apple bananas or um, ice cream bananas growing right there that you, you know, you chop the rock off, you hang it, they ripen. It's a different thing, totally a different thing, and that's important. And this is an issue that Brian Clement has brought up for years, which is the ripeness of fruit and the way that fruit is ripened. Because a lot of the fruits that we're eating today are not ripe. They're not sun-ripened, so they have way more acids in them, which can damage teeth. And this is one of the things that causes people to freak out once they've, you know, bought into, oh, I can eat as much fruit as I want. Then all of a sudden they develop osteoporosis or cavities. Then they go, oh, well, oh, no. It's the acids in the fruit that can damage your teeth. You have to be careful. You just, you just can't do everything haphazardly. There must be some thought behind everything. Okay, amazing. So we've got banana powder, we've got banana flakes, we've got xylitol, we've got stevia, we've got noniland honey, which is a highly mineralized honey that comes straight from your research facility in Hawaii, which is just fantastic. Before we wrap up this interview, there's one thing that probably I, I would really like to address as a, as a practical piece of advice for families and kids. You know, there's a lot of teenagers now that are going to school and they're exposed to all sorts of, as we mentioned previously, soft drinks and sweeteners and soft drinks. If you're an average American and you're probably not going to, like, make all of your own food in a blender or you're not going to – you're going to really buy what you eat at a grocery store. If you have some awareness of the role sugars are playing in – the detrimental aspects of your health. What are some simple tips that you'd recommend for people to kind of make some simple adjustments as they walk through the aisle at their local grocery store that are a little bit like a shift in the right direction, moving away from, you know, picking up the 12-pack of soda, the the ice cream, and all the other stuff that's just loaded with sugar? What are some simple choices that they can make to move them in the right direction? Maybe they're not going into, like, non-glycemic sweeteners, but what's what's the right choices that they can make to move in the right direction? What immediately comes to mind is avoiding high fructose corn syrup in every form that's present in all different kinds of processed and packaged foods and beverages. Another very important choice is to move completely away from processed beverages. Processed beverages cause dehydration, they cause hyperacidity, they damage teeth, they're implicated in osteoporosis, they're very stimulatory, they're adrenally exhausting, and there's a whole idea there that probably we're better off without those kinds of beverages. And, and also, we vote with our dollar, and now that we know that the beverage industry controls the food industry, to avoid those beverages is a really good way of taking back control of the food industry so we can get the food industry back into a, a reasonable semblance of, of something reasonable and balanced. Because at this point, when you've got basically sugar soda pop companies running food empires, it's only going to lead to a carbohydrate disaster in a very unconscious way of delivering food, for example, in the way that animals are treated, the way that foods are shipped, the way that corners are cut and in, in fillers used in foods, in the way that foods show up in our grocery store. Another thing that I'd be, I'd be really aware of is just watching your intake of bread and bread-like products. This is something every American, every family can, can look at. 
even baked goods that you know that you're looking at, like a cookie, um, bread, croissants, pies. The whole baked section of the of the grocery store is very glycemic today. It's loaded with gluey carbohydrates, gluten, very irritating on the digestive tract. And it's not something that we ever had in our history. This is all something new. So we're not probably very well adapted to it if we just look at it from that perspective. And that would be a strong recommendation that would come up for me, is not only avoiding the HFCS, the high fructose corn syrup, but in every form that it shows up in every food and beverage, but also the baked goods section of your grocery store. Great pieces of advice there, and I hope everyone listening finds something that they can benefit from, incorporate into their own strategies for your friends, for your family. Definitely, this is something that we're going to be coming back to again and again, and I know that you had mentioned, uh, as you do all the time, you know, the, the C word, cancer, and how that comes up in its relationship to sweeteners. So it's something that definitely we have on our radar. We're going to keep revisiting, and, you know, as, as the American sort of diet consumerism increases, we're going to see more and more sugar additives substitutes, replacements, and we're going to try to stay ahead of the curve and always provide natural alternatives for everyone here listening. Thanks so much, Lou. And I just wanted to spend one moment just in review of some of the things we talked about because I want to clarify the sweeteners, the low glycemic sweeteners, and the non-glycemic sweeteners, just to make it simple for everybody out there. Fruit, dried fruit, honey, those are sweeteners. And they're fine for some people. They're fine for me. You know, I love honey. I, I love fruit, too. And it's great. And that's a wonderful thing for many of us out there. And it's something that makes our life really joyful, as you referenced, Lou. Then we have the low glycemic sweeteners, which I have mentioned. Leucoma, yacone powder, things like Lohan Guo, which is the Chinese sweet, low glycemic sweetener. And then we have the non-glycemic sweeteners. These are extremely safe for people with the infections that we've discussed, including cancer. And that would be stevia. That would be xylitol. That would include things like erythritol and could also include rick licorice, which is the Chinese herb used in many, many formulas. And I've used it in chocolate as licorice powder. So I wanted to clarify that so we had a, a list to work off of. Fit that into your lifestyle as best you can. Sugar and sweet or sugar and spice and everything nice is what makes the world go round. However, too much of a good thing is not enough, as Mae West said. No, too much of a good thing can be too much, and we've <laughs> got to be aware of our limitations. Thank you so much, Dave. That was spectacular. And if you'd like to visit any of the products on longevitywarehouse.com, just visit longevitywarehouse.com. In the search box, you can type in xylitol, honey, stevia, banana powder, banana flakes. We've got a great bunch of options for you for your smoothies, baking, dehydrating needs, all the things that you need to make your food taste amazing. Totally the best ever. Okay, fantastic. Aloha.